The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC Online. Glad you're with us again. I hope you've had a great week. Man, I tell you, I want to recommend something to you. It has been an incredible encouragement to me, and that is the TV series, The Chosen. You can find it on YouTube. I watched every episode this week, and it just totally rocked my world. Incredibly encouraging, and I would highly recommend that you watch it. I think it will help you connect um, with the Lord a lot better. And so uh, if you have your Bibles today, man, let's jump into the Word as we go one more time into the line. We'll be in Hosea chapter 5, and we're talking about um, God's faithfulness and how people are unfaithful. And we've been looking at this incredible story about Hosea and his, um, his wife, Gomer, and how she was unfaithful, and the Lord called him to go out and, and continue to show love to her in spite of her unfaithfulness, and he used it as an object lesson to teach the nation of Israel what he is like. And so it's funny to me, uh, I think that sometimes people, they get into this place where they, they just, you just feel like, and maybe this is you, man, if I could just understand the Lord a little bit more, then I would, I, maybe I, would, I could follow him. And, and honestly, what really needs to happen in your life is not a greater understanding of the Lord. It's a greater understanding of yourself. If you could understand yourself a little bit more, then what would happen is you would realize who you are in the image of God, and it would help you to come to a place of repentance in your life and bowing the knee and worshiping Jesus in spirit and truth. And, 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 and again, that... Like when we understand how we're actually living and how we're actually treating as opposed to trying to answer all of these great questions about God and we just start to think about who we are in our DNA and how we're made up and how we're living, it has an incredible impact on our lives. And so humans are funny, man. Like when, when we look at people, they're either, here, here's the only two choices. Humans are either, when it comes to this whole idea of the lion, they are either chasing the lion and running with him or they're hiding from them. And that's you today. You are either right now in this moment in your life, you are chasing the lion and you're running as hard as you can just to follow him and he's blowing your mind and doing incredible things in your life just like he's been doing in people's life since he rose from the dead. Like that's the, what this church thing is all about is that the lion just started moving in people's lives and he started advancing his kingdom through people. And those people who have discovered that truth, man, the Lord, he just continues to roll out the freedom that comes from following him and, and, and we pursue him, man, and we're on this incredible journey. And, and it's such a, a fascinating thing to experience the Lord moving in that way. But if we're not living like that, if you're not following the Lord like that, you're hiding from him. You may believe in him. There may have been a time in your life where you surrendered to him a long time ago, and you're in a place of rebellion, and that's what was going on with the nation of Israel. Um, and, and so you are resisting where he's trying to take you, or you never have, um, you never have come to a place of faith and surrender. And so you kind of got your own system of, of how you worship God, and you're okay with that. And so see that as something you need to understand about yourself is that makes you God and not God God. When you, are, um, when you are on the throne and making the decisions about how you live your life and, and how you are okay with yourself apart from what the, the Lord has revealed to us in his word, 
then you have put yourself on the throne and not the Lord on the throne and your life. Whether you admit it or not, there are some things that are really broken about your life. And that's what we learn in Hosea chapter 5 is God begins to deal um, with Israel because he chose them. And it blows me away, man. Like the, the, the scripture says that nobody can come to the Father unless the Father draws him unto himself. And one of the things I love that I reference this TV show is, is a, a, the choosing aspect of Jesus and the early disciples. He chooses each one, um, and he chooses us by name, and the Lord chose me. And if you know him, he chose you. And you may be in a place where he has chosen you and you are resisting his choice, and that puts you in a place of prison where you really don't understand what is happening and the beauty of this incredible blessing that the Lord has offered an invitation for you to join him in advancing his kingdom. And so here, the people of Israel, there was nothing that they did to be chosen. God just chose them. And through the promise of Abraham and them being born in that family, there was a choice that was made of them. And so they weren't chasing him. And so there becomes a problem. So as we look at these Old Testament stories and we learn about the nation of Israel, there's application that we can make about ourselves. And so since they were the chosen people of God and they were not chasing him as the lion, then the Lord raises up a prophet to warn them about what they need to correct in their lives in order to come to this place of freedom. And so I'm, I'm going to read a, a, a different verses. I would encourage you to sit in Hosea chapter 5 and, and unpack it all for yourself. It's really a, a familiar theme what we look in um, chapter 5, but there are a few nuggets that I want to pull out and make some application for us today to help us understand about ourselves and how we can know the lion and run with him and really begin to understand what's going on inside of us. And so this is what um, the Lord says through the prophet Hosea. He says in verse 12, I am a, I'm like a moth to Ephraim, like rot to the people of Judah. For I will be, and this is verse 14, for I will be like a lion to Ephraim, like a great lion to Judah. I will, listen to what it says, I will tear them to pieces and go away. I will carry them off with no one to rescue them. Now, who's, who is God talking to through this prophet? He's talking to people that belong to him, his chosen people. And he's saying that he will be like this to them. So in Hosea 5, what is going on is God is reminding the people of Israel, and he's reminding even us today as we study the word, because the Lord is the same um, today, yesterday, and forever. Like he, He's the same as he was when he wrote this, as he, as he was um, when he walked on the planet, and as he is today. God doesn't change. Like He uh, is immutable. He never changes. That's one of the attributes about God, and that's why we disconnect from him, is because we don't like that. We want him to change. We want him um, to fit more about the life that we want to live, and so we want to try to change him, but he never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in this passage of scripture through this uh, prophet Hosea, the Lord is reminding us about being known. That's what he's saying. He's, the first thing he's, he, he's showing the people of Israel, and he's showing us, is what it, what it, uh, there's things about us about being known, and then he's showing us what he knows, and then he tells us what we should know. And so we, we can look at that and go, man, there's some things that you need to know about being known. There are some things that you need to know that God knows that you may not be coming to terms with. And he's never going to change whether you come to terms with it or not. God still knows things. 
And then there are some things that you may need to know. And so as we unpack this, what we see here, first of all, is an attribute of God that he is omniscient. Now, what does that mean? It means that God knows everything. He, he knows everything in the entire universe. He knows everything about this COVID-19. He knows about people that are going to die before they die. He knows about people who are going to contract the disease before they contract the disease. He knows everything. He knows the number of hairs on our head. He knows everything about us. He is omniscient. He knows all. Now, in our sin... Because we, have, we, we are sinful creatures by nature as we come into this world. There is an inherent in part of our DNA where we are bent towards sin, and we don't like that. We don't like the fact that God knows everything. And so, as a matter of fact, when we really boil it down and think about it, we hate it. We hate the fact that God knows everything. And, and so when we, we, we look at this passage, and the first thing that I want us to see is we like to hide. Like we, as human beings, we just like to hide, and that's why we hate this about God, is that he knows everything. And, and, and so what we think is we can run away, but he knows, um, he knows all we are and all we do. And so it doesn't matter how fast we run, it doesn't matter how much we sell, say lies to ourselves, it doesn't change the fact of what God knows about us. He even knows us better than we know ourselves. And in verse 3 of chapter 5, Hosea says, and, and God uses him to say this to the people, and it, it applies to us, I know all about Ephraim. Israel is not hidden from me. See, they thought they were hidden from God, and they thought they were living in a way that was okay with God, and so they just continued on in their sin and committing this spiritual adultery on him, and he says to them, I know everything. And so we go back to the story of Hosea and Gomer. Gomer probably didn't think that Hosea knew everything that he, uh, she was doing, but he knew everything. As a matter of fact, he even knew she was going to do it before she did it because God told him that was what's going to happen. And the same is true about how we function in our relationship with God. And so he says, I know all about you. Nothing is hidden from me. Now, the strange thing is about us as human beings is on one hand, we want to be known. Like we want to be known. But on the other hand, we don't want to be known. And so it's a strange dichotomy that we find ourselves in. I want to be known, but there's part of me that doesn't want to be known. And, and, and we want to be known, the reason that we want to be known is because we are made in the image of God. And so he has put that in our DNA. And we, we crave relationship. That's just a part of, of, of humanity. And so if you say, well, man, I don't, I don't, like, I don't like to develop deep relationships. That's because you're broken, and you're not coming to terms, and you're trying to hide, and you're just saying, I'm not a people person. We are people persons because we are people, and we want to be known, and we want to know others. And so when we look at this, even though we want to be known, the reason we retreat and hide that way is because we don't want to be known fully. And we can look at all kinds of different experiences in our lives to see this. And one that is, is pretty apparent is dating. Like you start dating someone um, and you, you put on, like, man, you do everything that you possibly can on that first date. You are nervous. 
you know that you're putting off an impression toward this person and you don't want to let them down and you don't want to know everything you don't want them to know everything that you know about yourself and so you sort of put on a, a posture a front and you go out on that date and as time goes on you begin to reveal a little bit more about yourself and if that person accepts you as you reveal more about yourself, then you end up going on, uh, a lot of times, another date, and you reveal a little bit more. But if that person rejects you, then you retreat, and the, and the re relationship is broken. And so we're afraid just to put it all out there on date one, because we do want to be known, but we don't want people to know everything about us, because we fear that we will be rejected if they see us in all of our transparency and who we are down deep in our core. And so even though we want to be known, we don't want to be known fully. And so what happens is we start hiding and we hide. And, and I think that even in a marriage, as we trace that, that, that relationship that is a great example I mean, you could, you could talk about if, you're, if you have some new neighbors move into the neighborhood and you have them over for dinner, it feels awkward at first, you know? You invite them over and, and you're kind of like, I don't know how this is going to go. I don't know if it's going to be fun. I don't know if they're going to think we're fun. I don't know if we're going to think they're fun. See, there's hiding going on. But then you, you, know, you get together and things go well and, and you move on and it's not too long before you become really deep, intimate friends. But you still probably hold things back because it is your nature to hide things, but it is your sinful nature that causes you to want to hide things. So what happens is there are levels of hiding. And so when we think about hiding, what, the first thing we do is we hide from ourselves. And that's what keeps us from knowing God. And that's what God is trying to show the people of Israel and even us today is that um, um, we hide from ourselves and that keeps us from being honest about who we really are. And we start hiding behind different things in life. And then we can we start to hide from others. Now, so we hide from ourselves, but not only do we hide from ourselves, we hide from others. How do we hide from others? Well, just look at our culture. It's the way we dress. It's the, the, the cars that we drive. They say something about us when really they say nothing about us. Like, it doesn't matter what you drive. All it requires is to have a little bit of money, and you can buy that, and anybody can have money. So it doesn't really say anything about you whatsoever. It doesn't say if you're satisfied. It doesn't say if you're whole. It doesn't say if you're complete. All it says is you had enough cash to go and get that particular vehicle. So it doesn't, um, uh, it doesn't matter if you're driving a Volkswagen or a Mercedes or a BMW or, or whatever it is. It doesn't matter. Because as we look and, and we, we think that it says something about us, but it says nothing about us. And so we hide behind that. We hide behind homes. We hide behind all kinds of things. We hide behind our jobs. We think that we get our value and our identity by what we do, and we don't. That doesn't say anything about us. That's just what we get paid to do. It is a task. We're selling part of our life for a skill that we could do, and it doesn't really say anything about who we are deep in our DNA. And if we are really honest and we quit hiding from ourselves, we will realize there are a lot of foolish things that we do in life that we're trying to hide from others as well. And then the third level of hiding is we hide from God. And so we hide from God by, um, really, if we look at the evidence, how do we know we hide from God? We're running from him. 
We won't do what he says. We don't submit to his word. We don't submit to what he said is how we can know him. And so we take off and we flee and we start to run and we're hiding and we're trying to cover up our tracks and our trails. And so what happens is we think that we're hiding and we can hide from ourselves. People do a pretty good job of it. And we can hide from other people. People do an outstanding job of that. It's all about image and marketing and your um, your personality. You, the big thing to say right now is you are your brand and be careful with your brand. When this NASCAR driver here recently said what he said uh, and made a racial slur, then all of the other NASCAR drivers reacted. You know what they said? They said, man, you got to think about your brand, which I get what they're saying. But the truth of the matter is, is no, you need to be thinking about who you are, not what everybody else thinks about you. You need to be thinking about what's going on deep inside of you when no one else is looking, who you are deep down in your DNA, your soul worth, not your self-worth. And that's where we look at and we begin to see we can hide from ourselves. We can hide from other people, but we can't hide from God. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you say to yourself. It doesn't matter how hard you try to convince yourself. You will never hide from God because he's God. And if you could hide from him, he wouldn't be God anymore. Look at what Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 says to us in the New Testament. Nothing, it says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Laid bare, just fully exposed. And I'm reminded of the nakedness of of Gomer that we learned about a couple of weeks ago on Easter Sunday. Everything is laid bare and exposed before God. And that's what he's trying to show us. So we hide from that and we use things to try to cover that nakedness up and try to convince ourselves and other people that we're okay. Or we accept it and we come to God on one thing, the basis of Christ's atonement. That's it. There's nothing else we can come to God on except for the sacrifice that he himself made as he became a man and he came and he died to cover us from our sins so that they would be hidden from God. That's the only way to hide your sin from God. That's the only way to hide the things that are really going on deep down in your DNA. And so first of all, God is saying to the nation of Israel and he's saying to us today as a body of believers that we like to hide, but it's impossible to hide from God. And so when we think about this and we look at it, Israel wouldn't face this. They wouldn't face it. And so you may be there today and you may be in that very same way. You may not be willing to face the truth that I just expounded to you before um, as you're sitting there in your living room. You may not be willing to face that truth. You may be right there where Israel is at. And so what happens is we need to understand what the lion knows about us. And he tells them specifically, and us too, what he knows about us. He knows that we like to hide, and he says, you'll never hide from me, and this is what I see when you try to hide from me. And we begin to unpack verse 6, it says in chapter 5, when they go with their flocks and herds to seek the Lord. Okay, this is a worship experience. When they go with their flocks and herds to seek the Lord, they will not find him. And that's a, that's a fascinating thing for the prophet of God to be saying to the nation of Israel. They're bringing flocks and herds to make sacrifice to God, but they will not find him. He has, with, he has withdrawn himself from them. So what is God saying to us? 
He knows how we seek him. Now, this is why Jesus said, um, seek ye first the kingdom, not stuff. Because anytime we seek stuff, we're trying to hide in the world that we're living in. And he says, seek the kingdom. There's only one way to seek the kingdom, and that is to run after God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. And so he tells us to seek his kingdom because he knows how we are prone to seek other things. He knows how we are prone to hide behind religion. And that's exactly what these people were doing. They brought sacrifices. They observed what was said in the law that they should do. Remember, we've been learning how this is all about spiritual adultery, and they are mixing the things of the world that they're hiding behind and trying to run from God instead of run with God. They're hiding behind all of these things, but they're mixing them with the observances that God had commanded Moses that they were to observe. So they were doing two things, and they were seeking God in a way that would never work, and that's what God was trying to show them. They would say to us, if we asked them and we could sit them down and interview them in real time, they would say they were seeking God, but God sees, for, sees it for what it is. And, and so what he says is um, they won't abandon their sin. In verse uh, 4, it says their deeds do not permit them to return. And so what happens is sin, which is rebellion from God and doing the things the way God said for us to do them, that's what sin is, is not listening to God, his voice, which he is now his word as it speaks to us. Anytime we're not listening to it, whether it is a socially unacceptable sin or it's something that God has leaned into us to step forward on and be obedient in and we don't, we don't listen, then we are rebelling against God and our sin will keep us from returning to him in a way that we um, will find complete freedom. And so he says to them, I know how you're seeking me. I know all about your worship. I know what your worship is like. And so what, do you, what would he say to us to that? I know you go to church. I know that you serve at church. I know that you give. I know that you um, try to read the Bible every once in a while. I know that about you. That's what God would be saying to us. But he says, you will never find me. He said, what? That's exactly what God is saying. Why? Because we're trying to do it as an addendum to our lives instead of trying to do it in submission and obedience to our lives. First, to Christ and saying, my life is yours, and then doing it in order for the Lord to reveal more and more truth to us that we can yield to and find greater and greater freedom. The second thing he points out to them, he says, I know you're not satisfied. He says, you, you're seeking me, but you're not going to find me. And so that's a, that's a reference to, you're not going to find what you're looking for because of the way that you're trying to find it. And again, we go back to the New Testament reference where Jesus said, seek the kingdom first, and these other things shall be added to you. And so God knows how we're trying to seek and find him. They thought their worship experiences were moving. And you may think your worship experiences are moving. You may listen to a Christian song. You go, man, that, that moved my heart. And you may think about God sometimes, but you're never really yielding to him. And so what is true about Israel is true about you as well. You're not satisfied. And that's what he's saying. He's pointing out flocks and herds will not get it done. It requires your heart and your soul. And they were bringing flocks and herds, and they were not bringing their heart and soul. Now, 
It is no coincidence that over and over in the scripture we see this happening. We see it happening. Saul, he tried to bring flocks and herds. But we look at the true king, David, what did he do? He followed God and he was a man after God's own heart. He brought his heart and soul. So any flocks and herds that he brought were received because his heart and soul came first. Any that Saul brought were not received because he was just trying to perform for God instead of yielding to God and sacrificing his life. We used to sing a song when I was growing up, and um, the old hymn, it says, little is much when God is in it. Little is much when God is in it, labor not in vain. Okay, I won't sing it for you today, but I would say this to you. Much is little when God is not in it. And it doesn't matter how much you do. It doesn't matter how much you give. It doesn't matter how much you attend church. It doesn't matter how much you help homeless people. It doesn't matter how many charities you support. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much you do for your neighbor, your kids, or anybody else around you. If God is not in it, it is little and matters not to him. And you will never be satisfied. It doesn't matter how much you do. And so you know if it's the real thing. Like You know if it is the real thing. You know when your soul is satisfied. And so I stand before you today, man, and I just say to you, my soul is satisfied. I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied because I'm running with the lion, and my soul down deep in my DNA matters not the size of my church, matters not um, the size of my ministry, matters not what my kids are able to do, matters not how much money I have in the bank, matters not, matters not what I drive, matters not what I wear, because I am in love with the lion, and my soul is satisfied. And so God is looking, and I can can say that. Like, I can say that with confidence. You know why? Because I'm not hiding from God. And if you're hiding from God, you have a difficult time saying things like I just said. You have a difficult time praying because you're hiding from God. You're scared to death if somebody asks you to lead in prayer because you're hiding from God. I have nothing to hide from God because I've already realized that I can't hide anything from him. So I've come to terms with that. I've accepted the atonement of Christ and my sin has been covered from his sight. And I no longer am living the life of a slave. I'm walking in freedom before the creator of the universe. And so my soul is satisfied. And that's what the world is yearning for, is satisfaction in the soul. That's why our priorities get so mixed up and we care about so many things and we passionately pursue things with every ounce of our being. But we often get there and when we find that they're delivered, we take our lives because we can't stand it. That now that thing that we were chasing, that we we thought was bringing us fulfillment, when we get there, we realize we're still broken because we never did quit hiding from God. I'm reminded of Robin Williams, man, and like, what a great, gifted, talented person. Makes everybody laugh. A joy to the world. A creation of God. Yet, he had it all, and he wasn't satisfied, even to the point that he ended up taking his own life. And we could look at countless individuals that fall into that same category, but the truth of the matter is I don't want you looking at everyone else. I want you to look at yourself and really answer the question, are you hiding from God? Are you hiding from yourself? Are you trying to do something that is impossible and is never going to bring satisfaction to your soul? The third thing that he points out to them specifically is hypocrisy. You don't find the word in the text, but if you look in verse 13, it says, When Ephraim saw his sickness, 
In other words, he saw things were broken in his life. He saw a physical sickness. And Judah, his sores, it says. It says that Ephraim turned to Assyria and sent to the great king for help. But he is not able to cure you, not able to heal your sores. And so we see hypocrisy. Instead of turning to God when they faced a problem, they turned to humanity. They turned to ungodly people around them, and they still tried to worship as they were turning to other sources to look for a cure for the disease that they were experiencing. And I fear that may be what happens to America even during this pandemic is that as God uses it to steal us, he uses it to roar at us, I fear that we may just look toward humanity for the cure, which we should be looking for the cure, but we should be bowing in reverence to the Christ and realizing, man, he is the creator of the universe, and yield to him. And if we do not, then we will return right back to our busy lifestyles, and we will return right back to that place of brokenness that our country is in. Listen, I don't need to have to, I don't need to try to convince you of how broken our culture is. We have murders in Kansas City, like, it is a routine thing for us. It's on the news several nights a week. Someone else was, there was another murder in Kansas City. There was another murder in Kansas City. It happens in New York City. It happens everywhere. Why are people living this way? Why are they filled with such violence and, 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 and tearing one another apart? It is because their souls are not satisfied, and they're seeking to find healing in things from mankind as opposed to the one who created mankind, and that is hypocrisy. And so what happens in the church often is that people are coming to the Lord, and they're singing, and they're worshiping, and they're giving, and they're even serving but they're not having, even though they're voicing confidence in God, they're taking action and, and their behavior is self and other people. It's humanism that's crept into the church. That's why there's such an attack on the word of God. And, and, and there's so much talk today about, you know, we just need to be accepting and we don't need to worry about what the word teaches. That was just for that culture. It is because we're trying to approach things and help ourselves in a humanistic way and we're trying to change what is unchangeable. The scripture teaches that God will never change. And until we yield to that, we will continue to be broken people, singing and worshiping about God and seeking satisfaction elsewhere. And that is what God knows about us. And he says it won't work. It won't heal you. You'll never find satisfaction by living your life that way. And so he tells us the third thing and the final um, takeaway is he shows us what we should know. And so we look and we say, man, we like to hide. We look and we go, we, we, this is what the lion knows about us. <laughs> like he, he, he's told us clearly in his word. Like you don't need to go and study psychology to know this. Like God invented us. And there are greater things going on inside of our DNA, and he has told us these things about ourselves. And here's the final takeaway. You may forget about the lion, but he will not forget about you. It doesn't matter how fast you run. It doesn't matter how hard you try to hide. God shows his way with sinners in, this, in chapter 5 of Hosea, how he treats them, how he uses things to draw us back to a place of discovery. Discovering what? discovering the only thing that really matters, and that is who created us, and dealing with the things that really bring satisfaction to the soul and stop getting drunk on being satisfied with self. 
being drunk on pleasure and materialism instead of being drunk on the Spirit like the Word teaches us to be and walking in the fullness thereof. And so what does he say? Well, he says as I opened with the passage in verse 12, I am like a moth to Ephraim. And so God, he says that he will be like a moth. Now, what do we know about moths? Well, if you've ever been outside and you've been trying to read or doing something, you're in the car and all of a sudden a moth gets in and you're driving down the road or you're reading your book and that moth is like, and you're like, and you're swatting at it. And what happens is it diverts your attention from the thing that you're actually doing. And so God's saying, the first way that I will come to you, if I, if I have chosen you, and we remember we're talking about the chosen people of God, if I have chosen you and you continue to try to hide from me, I will first come like a moth to you, and I will try to distract you. And God is showing us that he is like that. He distracts us from our sin for a moment to try to get us to think about him, to try to get us to return to that place of discovery that will really make us live the abundant life that Jesus talked about in John chapter 10. But we also learn that if we don't listen, there's another thing about moths that we need to be reminded of. Because God says, not only will he come like a moth, he says, secondly, I will come like rot. That's the second thing he says in verse 12, like rot to the people of Judah. And so we know, man, I, I can remember be, staying in summertime with my grandmother and uh, she would get blankets out for me to, to when I was sleeping there and make out her hide-a-bed. And, and my grandparents didn't have a lot of money, and, and, and so um, they, they kept things packed away. And, man, it was a great experience for me to go stay with my grandmother. But I can still remember being in the back um, room. It was a screened-off porch, and sometimes they would open, she would open a drawer, and she would pull out some blankets, and there would be this strong smell of mothballs. And, and we probably don't use them as much in our day and age, but the, the whole blanket smelled like mothballs. And it was such a strange thing to try to fall asleep at night with that smell. And the reason she put those in there is because a moth, the larva stage of a moth will get in there and it will destroy fabric. It will eat away at it. And so we can see it happens to furniture. It happens to things that are valuable to us. And so what does God say? He says, I will come first like the fluttering moth, and then I will come like rot into your life, and I will destroy things that are valuable to you, and he will allow things that you uh, are a prize to you, whether they be relationships that end up getting broken because you're not pursuing him, or they be things that you just like, like jobs and, and income, and I will, uh, I, will, I will allow those valuable things in your life to be taken away in order to divert your attention and try to get you to think about me. And so if, if, if we're not uh, uh, willing to listen to the sensitive whisper of God like the fluttering moth, and things get more difficult for us. We know this that throughout the, the book of Hebrews, there's so much talk about disciplining us as children. And so we see, man, that God, he elevates things. Now, here's the thing is we can resist that because if you have a garment that has been destroyed by a moth in the larva stage, well, maybe he just got an area of the shirt that you can still wear and nobody else will notice. You can still hide it. Maybe you turn the furniture around and you put it up against the wall where people can't see it. It's still usable and you're just hiding that one thing from them. And so you begin to engage in behavior to continue living the life and holding on to the things that God is trying to 
get at in order to only get your attention. It's not that he doesn't want you to have stuff. It's what he wants you. It's that he wants you to have the greatest blessing of all, and that is himself. And so we look at that man and Ma's like uh, they, they are destructive, and 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 so he's he's saying that this can happen in our lives. But then if we resist the gentle fluttering that turns into the destruction of valuables, then what happens is that God will be like a lion. And the scripture says very clearly, he says, for I will be like, verse 14, for I will be like a lion to Ephraim, like a great lion to Judah. I will tear them to pieces and go away. I will carry them off with no one to rescue them. And so we, we see that if we resist God wooing us and trying to get our attention as he's showing us how he treated Israel, if we hide, he is forced to send the lion. And so what we notice in this is a progression of his love toward the people that he has chosen. And that progression of love is he's doing and allowing these things in order to keep us from losing ourselves. He's not doing it because he doesn't like us. He's allowing it to happen because he loves us and he's trying to get our attention to live a life that really is the most meaningful experience that we could ever have and to be with him for eternity, never to be isolated from the grace that he so willingly offers to all of us. And so what, if we, we like logically start to follow this, we are, we are blessed if we recognize this. Because it keeps us from where lions lurk and where beasts of prey are waiting to pounce on things that will only bring pain into our lives. And so I know, like, very, like, you say, man, I, I, I just wish that you would, do, you would teach a different view of God. No, I, friends, I can't do that. All I can teach you is what is in the Word. And I can tell you that not only do I see it in the Word, I've experienced it in my own life. I've experienced the pain coming in and God allowing things to be taken away in order to put me in a place where He wanted me chasing Him instead of the things of the world. It can happen inside the church. It can happen inside the ministry. And God will go the extra mile to get our attention. And we are blessed if we recognize this. And so if we keep resisting, what we learn is that he finally, and this is, this, is, this is terrifying, he finally will leave us to ourselves and wait. And that's what we learn from the passage of Scripture. In verse 15 it says, after I have allowed them, they've been torn apart by the lion. I will go back to my place until they admit their guilt. And they will seek my face in their misery. They will earnestly seek me. Well, it sounds terrible. It just sounds like terrible. But when we really start to think about it, it's all designed to help us remove our robes of self-righteousness. That's all God's trying to do. He's trying to get us to take off the self-righteous robes that we hide behind so that we can be robed in Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah. We think about Adam and Eve. What did they do? They sinned. They hid. And God came looking for them, and they were hiding. And they, they, they started talking to him about sin, which they didn't even know anything about and were never in a position to hide before. And what does God do to teach us? 
He allows an animal to die, a sacrifice is made, and he gives them clothes to cover them from what's causing shame in their lives. And it's a foreshadowing of what he would do ultimately in Christ. We come to Gomer and we see that she ran, she ran from Hosea. She ran as fast as she could. She thought she was hiding all of this stuff from him. She thought she had it all figured out, but eventually the lion caught up with her and she finds herself naked up on top of the auction block. And what happens? Hosea bids on her and he takes her home and he puts a brand new robe on her. We see it in the prodigal son that Jesus taught about. The son ran off. He squandered everything. And when he came to his senses and started thinking about his father, what did he do? He went home and he was robed. I can tell you, friends, (laughs) that the greatest time in my life was when I put on the righteousness of Christ. I took off my self-righteousness and I came to terms with the fact that I was a sinner and I was hiding from God. I was running from God. I was hiding from people. I was posturing and trying to put up an image. I wasn't being honest with myself and dealing with what really mattered down in my soul. There was no soul satisfaction. I was just trying to give myself satisfaction. And I came to a place of truth and recognized as he called me home. And I took off my self-righteousness robe and laid it down. And Jesus clothed me in his righteousness. And so we see that all who call upon the name of the Lord and they repent and they bow down, they're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. This is what Isaiah is talking about in chapter 61. Remember, a contemporary of, of Hosea. And he says in chapter 61, verse 10, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the uh, sprout come up and a garden causes seed to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations." And that brings us to the big idea of today's talk. And I really hope you can receive this and hear it. You can't be robed in his righteousness if you are hiding in your rags. It can't ever happen. And some of you are hiding, man. And you think you're hiding from everyone. And, and, and I always say to you, you don't even realize you're not even hiding from your pastor. Like you think you're hiding uh, things from yourself, but if you would just stop and take a look and go, man, is there really satisfaction in my soul? What am I doing with my life? The lion is chasing me. He's calling me to run. And if you could just pause for a moment and be honest with yourself and take a good hard look at really what makes you who you are and, and quit with all of the things around that you think are meaningful, And just stop and pause and even think about when you die. What really matters is the condition of your soul. And if when you face death, you're still robed in self-righteousness, then Jesus says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. And it's not because he doesn't love you. It's because he kept calling out to you and you kept hiding and you kept putting on a front 
and you ran faster and faster away from him, and he pursued you until ultimately he gave you over to what you wanted because he is a God who gives free will. And so we look at that and go, man, like to draw what we see, to draw us to himself, the lion of the tribe became the lion against the tribe. Why? Because he cares for us. And he's calling out to us. And, and I go, and I'll go back to the language of Amos and, and Hosea and Isaiah. Amos tells us, the lion has roared. Who will not fear? The sovereign Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy? Here's what I know. <laughs> it makes absolutely no sense to hide behind rags. Like, don't try to hide from the lion, man. Repent. Repent and run with him. That's what this whole thing about Jesus is about, is that we would put down all of these things that can, are confusing and chaotic, and we would put on the robe of righteousness that Christ robes us in, and we would run with him. With Israel, it was about the land, the promised land. With us, it's about the promised life. If he has chosen you, like, robe yourself in his righteousness and run with him. Like, what, on, like what, what more could God do? Like, what more, what is it going to take in your life before you stop and go, I'm not running with the lion. I'm selfish. I'm a sinner. I'm just hiding from myself, and I'm hiding from my husband, and I'm, I'm hiding from people around me, and I, I'm trying to hide from God, and I can't hide from God because he is God. What a fool I am. You know what the psalmist said? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. But the, but the one who's set free comes to the conclusion, I, I'm broken. Like, I, I am broken before the holy God of the universe that is never changing. And he's come to tell me how all that can be made right. And it will never be in my, right, my self-righteousness. It will be when I learn to receive him and he covers me in his righteousness. And this is what I would leave you with today, friend. Don't wait another second to give your life to Jesus. Quit being stubborn. Bow the knee and repent so that you can live and your soul can find satisfaction. Let go of it. Let him invade your life and transform you into his image and run with him. And things in your life, like, it's so hard to do what I do because I'm just constantly trying to convince people of how good things are deep inside of me, regardless of what happens. Regardless of what happens to my health, regardless of what happens to my finances, it doesn't matter because I'm covered in the righteousness of Christ. And friends, that is the good news of the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. You have heard it. And the question now becomes, what are you going to do with it? Heavenly Father, we bow before you today and we yield to you and your word. And I pray for courage and I pray for new life. I don't pray, Lord, just for a verbal 
confession, but a, a, a confession that comes with the heart and the soul, Lord. Not for people just to bring flocks and herds, but to bring every part of their being and lay it down on the altar and say, I am no longer my own, Jesus, I am yours. Lead me, be my lion. Lord, only you can save the soul, and I pray that you would save souls today. I ask it in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, Jesus, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, and amen. Listen, if you made a decision today, don't be afraid. Like, I know it's a little weird, but like, raise your digital hand. It's a start. It's a step of courage. He said, like, well, I don't know. My husband will see me raise my hand. Quit hiding, man. Come out of hiding. If I were hiding like that, you would have no one to teach you about the life that God wants to give you. Quit hiding. The devil is stealing from you. Don't hide from yourself. Don't hide from your husband. Don't hide from your kids. Let them see you broken before the lion, and you will find yourself as God does a work in your life. I'm thankful for you today, and I pray that as God, or as Sean closes us out before the Lord in, in, in worship, that, man, you will be encouraged that you are the chosen of God, and you will hear his voice and run with him. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.